Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship at Faith Community Church. It is good to be together in the room on a beautiful spring day. Woo! Sunny and no rain, maybe, right? Uh, it's good to be together online. Thank you so much for joining us together this morning. Uh, I want to start out by asking you to pray with me uh, this morning. Uh, if you haven't heard, in uh, Baldwin, Woodville area last night, a deputy was shot and um, a couple hours later was, was killed, died. And uh, we have a chaplaincy. Pastor Larry is one of the chaplains for St. Croix County. And we have many families here at Faith Community uh, who are families of law enforcement. And um, I just want to pray and ask for God's mercy and kindness in the midst of this. So would you, would you join with me in praying um, as we start out this morning? Father, I just want to ask for the family of this deputy only in service for one and a half years. And the end of watch has already come for her. God, I ask that you'd be with the family, you'd provide comfort. May this be an opportunity not to question you and your goodness, but an opportunity to press into you and your goodness. God, I ask for Pastor Larry and the chaplains, St. Croix County, as they care for law enforcement and first responders. They would be sensitive, they would be alongside, they would give hope and comfort. God, I ask for the families here at Faith Community who have loved ones who are in law enforcement, they know acutely that when their loved one goes to work, they don't know if they'll be coming home. I thank you, God, for the willingness to serve in this way. And God, I ask that you would be with them and their fears. God, I ask for the law enforcement community here in St. Croix County where a family member has been lost. May they grieve, trust in you. God, I ask for the family of the suspect who lost somebody, who shot somebody. God, as they grieve, as, they, as the impact of that news reaches their hearts, would you be with them? God, I thank you that we have the opportunity to partner with Glenn Hirschberger, Glenn and Sue Hirschberger, who are starting and have started Cities Cop Church over in the cities. Would you please be with them as they gather tonight, as they go through an important series, especially tonight, but your presence with us, you are not alone. God, give them wisdom, give them grace. God, we entrust all of this to your care. We look forward to the day when Jesus returns and law enforcement gets a job reassignment. There'll be no more need for law enforcement because the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. Thank you. Until that time, we entrust ourselves to your care. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, thanks everybody. We are in a series called He is Greater. He is Greater, and it's, we're walking through the book of Hebrews, and in this series, we are reading this letter that was written to a church that, is, that was in a context that's similar to ours, similar to our context. 
he wrote to a church that was probably probably in Rome, which was an urban center, and it was a highly pluralistic society. That is, there was a lot of different religions and a lot of different philosophies of life to choose from. Everyone had a different religion, and there was in the culture, in the culture, because Christianity was sort of new, there was in the culture this suspicion, this growing suspicion that Christianity wasn't good. It was dangerous for society, for Christianity to exist. And that's similar today. Christianity's been around for a long time. Our culture has become post-Christian. And there is this growing suspicion in our culture that it's not simply that Christianity isn't true and that Jesus isn't true, but it's Jesus is actually dangerous. It's not good. It's not good to be a Christian. And for some in this city and in this church, there was also this increasing hostility from family members and from social networks to not be a Christian anymore. The first followers of Jesus in this environment, they came out of Judaism. They came out of um, being Jewish, and they saw that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures, and they saw that Jesus was the, the true Messiah that the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, prophesied about and foretold, and that Jesus was the one that they had been waiting for. But then they started to get pressure Pressure from friends who are still in Israel's Old Testament leanings and teachings. Some of them were starting to lose jobs because of it. Some of them were starting to lose family members because of it, relationships. And this brought the early church in this context to a spot where they started to question, is Jesus really worth it? Is Jesus really true? Is this really true? Doubts started to creep into their minds as they thought back to, and they heard the arguments and the uh, objections of some of their friends. Like, Jesus, how could Jesus replace the temple? That doesn't make any sense at all. And they started to experience what we've come to call deconstruction. Deconstruction is the process of questioning the foundational truths of following Jesus and dissecting them and slowly, methodically, over time, moving away from them to the point that you reject them. They were doing an ancient form of this. Theirs was primarily wrapped up with, theirs was primarily wrapped up with Israel and was Jesus the fulfillment of the temple and what about Sabbath and what about the sacrificial system and what about the law of Moses and how it was given through angels and it needed to be obeyed and how can you just move on from that and move to Jesus? Our potential deconstruction has far more to do not with, not with going to another religion per se, but leaving Jesus and going back to what we call secularism. Our kind of deconstruction that we experience, it's on the rise, it has been for the last few years. There's notable, prominent, once evangelical people who have said, I have nothing to do with that anymore, and they're splashed all over social media. 
Ours has more to do with growing up in church and growing up in Christianity and then eventually starting to question it and move away from it. Now, there are various causes, various causes to deconstruction. It's always intellectual. It's always intellectual. Can Jesus be trusted? Is this really true? Is the Bible really the authoritative word of God? Did Jesus rise from the dead? Is is Jesus really this God-man? How do we know? Did Jesus, was he really born to a virgin? Like, these are strange things. Are these things really true? Are they intellectually, rationally defensible and believable? It's always intellectual, but it's not always only intellectual. There's always a heart condition going on underneath. When we start to question, when we start to doubt, when we start to deconstruct. There's underlying causes. causes. One author has written this about some of the causes that he's heard about and wrestled with himself as he's walked with people in his church who were experiencing deconstruction and going through that process. He mentions four. They're pretty prominent. Church hurt is one. Church hurt can take on various forms. But one of the things that we've seen in the last few years is prominent, prominent, prominent evangelical leaders who just blew up their lives. It starts to make you wonder, like, is, I mean, if the leader goes through this, if the leader, if, if Jesus doesn't really matter to this leader, and, and it seems like it's just a sham, is Jesus really true? Is it really good? Can he really do anything? Another one is poor teaching. Poor teachings. For, for some churches, for some churches, everything is a die-for matter. Everything's a die for minute. You grew up in that kind of environment where everybody has to believe the same thing. It's not about unity, it's about uniformity. And then you start to experience, oh, there's other Christians who believe this. What? Well, if they taught me that at church, then, and that's not very true, or at least it's, there's a lot of different interpretations. Can I really trust that they were teaching me the truth about Jesus? Some other reasons why we... Even with the poor teaching, I mean, if you're taught from an early age over and over and over again that if you just have enough faith, God will answer your prayers. And then you start to look back on your life like, man, there's a bunch of different prayers that God didn't say yes to. And I know I was trusting him. Is God really there? Is this just a sham? There's also this reality that Jesus' vision for sexuality is in many ways diametrically opposed to the vision of sexuality of our country and secularism, and expressive individualism, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks. And the the mind always justifies what the heart wants. And so if we want to live out a certain type of sexuality, when we come in contact with what Jesus has to say, we can start to deconstruct. Does Jesus really matter? And there's also social pressure. Again, in our culture, there's this increasing, some places hostility, but it's more like the suspicion, the default condition of our, of our culture in many ways, unless you're in, the, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the Bible Belt, or the, or the buckle on the Bible Belt, right? There's a suspicion that Christianity, it's not just that it isn't true, that it's not good. I don't like the way I think my life would look like if I were to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus. 
And part of that is seeing how the church has lived, especially in the last few years. Now, these are just some of the reasons that are there. And what I'm trying to get at is that it's not only, it's not, it's always intellectual when we start to move away from Jesus, but it's, it's not only intellectual. There's more stuff going on underneath. And the author of Hebrews sees that there's something going on in that early church that he wants to address and try to move them out of because he sees that if they stay in this heart condition where they're at, he knows where the trajectory goes. And the, the heart condition that he diagnoses and that he helps to move them out of is the condition of dullness. Dullness of the heart. Okay, so today we're going to look at dullness, the danger of dullness, the protection of earnestness, and the most important question, I think, is how do we rekindle earnestness or passion when we are experiencing dullness. We're looking today at Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 12, and it's found on page 1003 in the Bibles in front of you. Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 12. What the author of Hebrews does here is like last week, um, Pastor Tim Prince, he introduces the, Jesus as the great high priest in, in what's called the order of Melchizedek. He'll come back next week to talk about that because uh, the author of Hebrews goes into what does it mean that Jesus is the high priest and all that kind of stuff. But he pauses in the midst of this argument to rally and to address the, the spiritual condition of his readers. He's, this is a pause, a very important and dramatic and personal pause where he's trying to address their heart, not just their intellect, their heart. So he says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying, again, a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. And that, for that he, sorry, for that, for and that he has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those who, whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if he bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. Although we speak this way, speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. 
For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, as a family, uh, we have established a tradition that we're still trying to live in as much as possible, even though one of our sons is down in Louisville, the other one's over in the cities, and we have still have one at home. And that tradition is when it comes to sort of the holiday season, we at different points watch the Charlie Brown specials together, right? So the Great Pumpkin and the Thanksgiving one and the Christmas one, we watch those together. And it's a great time. Like We have all these kind of memories and, you know, we do different treats and all that kind of stuff. And so it's just this family culture kind of thing that we're establishing. Well, one of the things that's fun, or at least fascinating, to watch and to pay attention to as we're watching these Charlie Brown specials is that um, you never see adults. You only hear adults. And you only hear adults, as the viewer, you only hear adults through the sound of a trombone. That's the sound of like, wah, 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 right? Now, what's fascinating is as you are watching this, as you're watching this show, is that the kids know exactly what the adult is saying. You ever notice that? They know. They're answering back, going, oh, okay, yep, and okay, yeah, they're talking on the phone, and they're talking, and that kind of stuff. You don't know what the adult is saying. The voice is dull to you. You can't distinguish it. They know what's going on, but you don't. And what can happen to you and me as followers of Jesus is that we can become like the audience viewing Charlie Brown is that when someone starts to talk to us about Jesus, the message of Jesus becomes wah, 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 wah. And it's not because they're being inarticulate. It's because something has happened to our hearts. That's what the author of Hebrews sees as the condition behind this deconstruction they're tempted to. He addresses it in verse 11. About this we have much to say, but it's hard to explain. He's talking about the, the, the priesthood of Jesus. It's hard to explain. Not because, the, not because the concept is difficult, but because of where their hearts are at. You've become dull of hearing. You've become dull of hearing. You can see that this is the, the point of this section is that because he comes back to it in verses 11 and 12. We desire that each one of you show the same earnestness. So earnestness, we'll come back to this, is the opposite of dullness. That you would have the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Why? So that you may not be sluggish. Sluggish and dullness are the same word. Just different ways to translate it depending on the context. Dullness sluggishness. The author of Hebrews is writing this whole letter to help this early church, these first followers of Jesus, with their dullness of heart because he sees where it, where it leads. Now, dullness is something that you and I can all experience, and many of us, we have all experienced it at some point in time. 
And you will experience dullness at some point in time when you're following Jesus. It's, it's part of the unbelief that's still in our hearts. We'll still fall into dullness. It's a, it's a condition where we are, where, where we're hearing about Jesus. Maybe we're reading about Jesus. We're, we're listening to sermons about Jesus and the good news of gospel, but it doesn't excite us anymore. Our hearts are dull to the message. There's no more inspiration, or the, the inspiration's muted. The, the excitement is muted. The, the passion is muted. When we hear about his power, his beauty, his goodness, his mercy, his, his, his with usness, we become lazy. It takes a long time for the, for the message that goes into our ears to sink down into our hearts so that we respond. The truth becomes, we hear the message that Jesus is greater, and the dullness of our heart says, I don't think he's all that great. These are followers of Jesus. They've been following Jesus for a long time, for many years. Enough that they should be teachers. And they're experiencing this. Where does it come from? Well, maybe a little bit of an analogy here. My wife and I, we do a lot of premarital counseling. We love to do premarital counseling. We're working with a couple right now, and it is an absolute do delight for us. And one of the things we talk about, though, in the premarital counseling is we go through resources together to help set them up for a lifelong of love, a lifelong love relationship together. As we talk about how a few years in, a few years in, the, 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 the expectation of a lifelong love starts to feel like a prison sentence. Because, because you start to realize that the excitement, the infatuation, all the, all the emotions, all the adrenaline, all the dopamine, all the different things that are firing all cylinders as you're getting into uh, a marriage relationship, it starts to go, oh, I've got to change. And you're not as lovely as I thought you were. And what happens I mean, you, you know this if you've been married for some time. You know this. The things that you used to, that you used to love that were different than, uh, than you, the things you used to love in your spouse, you're like, I hate those things now. <laughs> I hate them. I hate them. It happens to all of us. A dullness creeps in. And that's when you start to learn to love one another. You realize that back then, I was just deeply infatuated with the fact that you loved me. Now I've got an opportunity to love you, even though it's going to cost me. And what's going on, it seems, with these followers of Jesus, and what happens to all of us at some point in time, is that we start to realize, we start out with Jesus, and it's exciting, and we feel that he loves us, and he cares for us. And then, following him starts to cost us. It starts to cost us. The closeness that you felt. And this is different than a, than a spiritual dryness. It's a, it's a heart condition where you start to feel disappointment. It starts to creep in. This disappointment starts to creep in. Maybe you start to realize, like I did a long time ago, it's like, oh, all the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is found in Galatians 5. Um, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You know what all that fruit requires? Difficulty difficulty. The only way you cultivate patience is by enduring difficult circumstances, and that's a fruit of the Spirit. Be careful if you're starting to pray for patience. 
It's just reality. It requires difficulty, and you start to see, maybe you start to see, I'm actually changing much more slowly than I thought I would. You get disappointment. With the followers of Jesus in this context, they were starting to experience loss of friendships, loss of family relationships, maybe loss of jobs because they were Christians and their family members or friends were starting to disassociate with them. It was starting to cost them. Jesus was starting to cost them. And in that moment, a dullness started to creep into their hearts. Why? Because of disappointment. This wasn't what I thought. It was going to be. This is one of the reasons why Jesus never like soft sells following him. One of the ways he talks to us about following him is, okay, pick up your cross and follow me. Die to yourself and follow me. One of the things that we talk about in Christianity Explored, the last session is called, I mean, talk about this. The last session is called Come and Die. Because Jesus talks about what it, I mean, there's a real cost, and we want to be upfront with everybody that there's real cost in following Jesus. But that real cost also creates disappointment in our hearts. It's hard. There's times when we can say, I'm delighted that I get to suffer with Jesus. But a lot of times, it's just disappointment. I didn't think that following Jesus would bring this into my life. And when that happens, in that dullness stage, you could have it like weekly, you know, but if you stay there for a while, the author of Hebrews recognizes that that's the condition of what's going on in, his, in this church that he loves so much, these people that he loves so much. It's this heart condition, and when the dullness starts to stay there for so long, and you don't, you don't address it, you don't acknowledge it, you don't start to talk to God about it, you don't talk to other people about that dullness that's there, you just sort of keep it yourself. You start to, instead of being, um, instead of being troubled by it, you start to nurse it. And as you nurse it, these questions start to creep up into your heart and mind. Is Jesus really worth it? Is this really true? Is my life really what I think it should be like in following Jesus? Is this what Jesus meant by a gospel-inspired life? He said that he came to give life and give it abundantly. How does this loss compute into abundant life? Now, there's a danger with this dullness that it starts to go someplace. It never stays alone. It always starts to spiral, just like, just like any kind of unbelief. When it stays in our heart unaddressed, it starts to spiral. It never just goes away. It has to be actively engaged. So the author of Hebrews sees this condition, and he, he gives a strong challenge and a strong warning to this church, not to scare them in an unhealthy way and not to like create some kind of introspective kind of lack of assurance in following Jesus kind of way, but to arrest their attention, attention so that they know, they know where their condition is so that they would be moved on to rekindle zeal. The author of Hebrews remembers a story that Jesus told, and he picks up on it. Jesus told this story about how we're to receive and hear the message of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. He told a story about four soils. There's these four different soils that you can find in Palestine. There's rocky soil, there's good soil, there's all these different kinds of soils that you can find. And if you're a farmer, you're scattering your seed all over the place, and Jesus is like that. He's just telling everybody that he can about who he is and about the gospel. But he recognizes that 
how we respond to that good news about who Jesus is determines everything. So there's one soil, the good soil, that goes on and bears much fruit and more and more people hear about who Jesus is because of this person's reception of the word. But there's other soils. There's three other soils. And one of the soils that's really troubling and I think is the backdrop of the author of Hebrews' mind is the soil of the seed that fell on rocky soil. And this is how Jesus interprets the rocky soil and about listening to the word of God. This is verse 16 of Mark. These are the ones... And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. Though the ones who, when they heard the word, they heard it, they immediately received it with great joy. There was an earnestness, there was a zeal, there was an excitement. But they had no root in themselves. But endure for just a little while. And then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. See, you can start out really, 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 really well, but that doesn't mean a lot. I've got a lot of projects around my house that I started out with a lot of zeal on that haven't been finished. <laughs> and we can approach the word of God, the gospel that way. You receive it with great gladness and joy in their celebration. But then, when disappointment, persecution, like the first followers were experiencing, tribulation, hard times, when that starts to come, I'm out of here. It slowly develops. This is why the author of Hebrews says this. This is one of the clearest warnings in Scripture for followers of Jesus. He says this, for it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit. In other words, you've received the word with gladness, have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now this is the danger that he sees. This is the danger that you and I are in when we are dull. It can go this way. It doesn't have to go this way. We'll see that. It doesn't have to go this way, but it can go this way. And the author of Hebrews knows that it can go this way, and he doesn't want it to go that way. And so he's writing to address their dullness. One of the most troubling pieces in this is about this part here, for it's impossible. It's impossible for someone who has tasted and seeing that the word of God is good and its power to then reject that they're going to be brought again to repentance. It's not that God is unable to do that. So it's not that God is unable to take somebody who's walked away and rejected him and bring them back. He's able to do that. He can make a dead heart alive. But we've got to remember that we're in a relationship with God. What the author of Hebrews knows is there comes a time when someone who if they started out really excitedly following after Jesus, but then they turn away from him and they say, basically, like Jesus being crucified, no, that was worthless, it didn't accomplish anything at all, Jesus isn't who he said he is. You walk away from God far enough and long enough, there's a point where God says, I'll give you what you want. You don't want Jesus, I'll give you what you want. And the author of Hebrews 
is warning us that when we experience dullness, to take that seriously. Because we can be moved out of it. We can be moved out of it. The author of Hebrews is convinced. This is one of the reasons why he's writing. He's convinced, like, you've not gone that far yet. You've not gone that far, but this is what I'm trying to keep you from. I'm far more sure about things for salvation for you all because I see it in you. I see God's passion. I see, I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Restore. Rekindle. Rekindle the same earnestness that you had. So again, what the author of Hebrews is not trying to do is get us into some kind of introspective when we have dullness. Am I really a Christian or not? That's not what he's trying to do. He tells us what he's trying to do. Verses 11 and 12. We desire that each one of you show the same zeal, the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish. What he's trying to do is get them back to a place of earnestness, of zeal, of being inspired by the good news of Jesus so that when Jesus is talked about, when Jesus is mentioned as being greater, that that doesn't just take five years to go from the hearing and to work its way down to the heart, that it's quick, it's quick, so that a, a zeal and a passion starts to move in them because without the zeal and the passion, you can have all the intellectual facts but your heart's not engaged and the heart starts to drift away. So the good news is, and the amazing news is that even when you and I experience dullness, even when you and I start to drift into questioning, is Jesus really true? Even if we walked with him for a really long time, is he really true? Is it really worth it? Jesus enters into that questioning and he will help us rekindle our zeal. The same zeal that we had, the same earnest that we had, we can recapture. How? How? A few things. I want to talk about this in two different ways. One, as individuals, if, if and when, if right now you're experiencing dullness or when you experience dullness, what are some things that we can do? But then also, as a church, how do we become a church where we rekindle, help one another rekindle zeal together? when we experience dullness? Those are two questions I want to try to answer as we close up this teaching time here quick. First, if you do experience dullness in relationship to the inspiration of the gospel, be honest. Be honest with yourself and just say, hey, this is where I'm at. Be honest. You can't cure something that you don't know and acknowledge that it exists. So to be honest, the second, the second is to, the author of Hebrews is trying to reframe their, reframe their dullness, not as a reason to start to move away from Jesus, but their dullness becomes a reason to mature in Jesus, to mature in Jesus, okay? Notice what he says here in verses 12 and following. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, that doesn't mean that he expected everybody there to be preaching and teaching, that kind of stuff, but they would, they would be mature. They would, they would not just simply be learning anymore. They would be actually teaching, like know enough about Jesus to be able to teach. 
You need someone to teach you again, unfortunately. The basic principles are the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice and to distinguish good from evil. When we are dull, that's not an opportunity, or that's, that can be an opportunity for us to start to question everything and move away from Jesus, but that can be an opportunity to start to question everything to move toward Jesus. That you start to go, I am experiencing dullness. Is Jesus really who he says he is? I want to dig in and know Jesus more. That's the opportunity in front of us when we are dull. A guy who is a heavy, who's just heavily, heavily, heavily influenced me is a man named Francis Schaeffer. He's been dead, dead now for many, many, many years. But Francis Schaeffer was a leading, a leading evangelical pastor and movement leader back in the 20th century. And he was leading a movement that was all about doctrinal purity, which is good. But he became disillusioned and massively disappointed in the movement that he was a part of because he saw that the doctrinal purity didn't create a love for one another. And it created a bickering, biting, critical spirit. And that hurt caused him to go to a spot where he had to rethink everything. He told his wife, Edith, they're up in the Swiss Alps, I need to go back to a place of agnosticism about whether or not God is really there and I need to rethink the whole thing. Pray for me. He knew his condition. Pray for me. But he knew that he had to think through the whole thing again because, wait a second, Jesus and focusing on real truth should create love and it wasn't. Why not? Is Jesus a farce? He came out the other side. He came out the other side of that publishing one of his most important books on what is true Christian spirituality. That time of dullness and that time of doubt created a time of maturity. Of maturity. Some of you know my story, but I, back about 11 years ago, I experienced something similar. I was facing into some leadership challenges and some scary times, and I was praying, ironically, I was praying, talking to God about these things, and all of a sudden this thought popped into my head. Is God really there? It was the first time I ever really thought about that question. Is God really there? Well, if he's there, how would I prove that he's there? Huh, good question, Tim. And I started working, I rethought everything, everything, everything. It was scary, I was terrified. I knew what the situation I was in. I could either stay with Jesus or I could go to default back to go into secularism. Be like, I, I can't even know. This is just agnosticism. I knew the situation. Filled with anxiety. I was telling other people about it, getting help along the way. But I came out the other side more convinced that Jesus is true than ever. That's not a hero story for me. That's the kindness of God, but also talking about the opportunity that we have. When we are dull, it's not an it, it can be an opportunity to fall away. It can also be an opportunity to really dig deep into Jesus. Now, the other thing that the author of Hebrews wants us to see about maturity is to reframe the dullness to an opportunity for maturity, but then also how we define maturity is not simply knowing more things. Please hear this. 
It's about applying the things that we know. Notice what he says. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. One of the things that helps us get out of maturity is instead of just trying to get intellectual satisfaction about who God is, it's applying what he says to do over and over and over and over and over and over again. And you start to experience him day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out. I need to tell you that if, if your interaction with Jesus is almost exclusively attending a worship gathering and hearing a sermon, you're not gonna become mature. You need to do more. One of the things that we provide here every week is a conversation guide. And the conversation guide is built off this model of soap. Scripture, you read scripture, you make observations, but then you start to ask God, how should I apply this to my life? And then pray about applying it and tell other people about it so that we can grow together. One of the things I highly recommend to grow in maturity is make sure that you own your own faith And you're involved by taking the teachings of Scripture and seeking how do I apply them, not just what do they mean and not just what's the depth of the theology there, but I need to apply them to my life as the Spirit leads me. One other thing. We need to talk to one another about our dullness. and to bring that out, and our questions, and our questions. One of the things that happens in certain churches that lead to deconstruction is this. This is one author making an observation that saddens me, he says. What is often mentioned in deconstruction as the fuel for the journey is some version of being raised in a church where questions were not allowed. Questions were seen as dangerous and need to be put on a shelf. So when you're experiencing dullness and you're having questions about who Jesus is, that's an opportunity to share those to other people. And you need to know that your questions are welcome here. We are a place for skeptics. But also faith community, that we would become a place where we are more and more and more and more and more comfortable with being generous in spirit and hearing where people are and identifying with where they are in their story and to hear the disappointment, to hear the, hear the dullness and to not be afraid of it, but to accept where somebody is and walk with them along the way. One of the things that we talk about, our vision here at Faith Community is to be, by the Spirit's leadership and his wisdom, a church that is a Christ-centered community that's welcoming welcoming and inviting and attractive and reconciling. And in that kind of community, more and more people experience the presence of Jesus and how we care for one another, how we relate to one another. We're welcoming. That is, when we come to missional community, we're welcoming wherever, wherever somebody's at. We always start where somebody is. If they're dull right now and they let us know where that dull is, we, we steward that trust and walk with them, not say, oh, your questions aren't welcome here, or be afraid of the questions. There are small groups, missional community small groups, where we're welcoming, and where does somebody really at? So they can walk together in these things, walk together in these things. Lastly, 
what's amazing about the author of Hebrews is that he could address a lot of different things about what the questions were of his audience, but what he kept doing over and over again is he kept it about Jesus. Jesus, 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 because that's always the issue. Jesus is always the issue. And with his, with his challenge and with his warning, he also gives a lot of comfort. A lot of comfort. Last week, Tim Prince read from this passage, it's a beautiful sermon. It says, verse 14 of chapter four, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus was tempted with dullness, yet without sin yet without sin. He knows what it's like. He can enter into our weakness. He can enter into our weakness and he can help us. Jesus says over and over and over again, whoever comes to me, whenever, whoever comes to me, I will never turn them away. So the point is always Jesus. We always keep talking about Jesus. The way to excite our hearts about Jesus is to keep talking about how great he is. There's no other way to do that. But it's also remembering and Jesus says this, or the scriptures say this about Jesus, that a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench. That's with Jesus. Wherever we are, if we're smoldering, if we're bruised, Jesus won't put that candle out. Jesus won't break that reed. He'll mend it. He'll fan it into flame. And he does it by his spirit working in us as we keep talking about how great Jesus is. And he does it through our relationships. As we walk with one another where we are, as we go to heaven together. As we go to heaven together. We're gonna sing us this last song together. And in this last song, it's a song of dedication based on Jesus and how worthy he is. And I want to invite you as we sing the song together to declare that Jesus is worthy and to let him know that wherever you are right here in this moment, if you're coming in joyful and glad and overjoyed by all the things that are going on in life, or if you're coming in that you are experiencing dullness, that Jesus is worthy of our following. He's worthy of building our lives on him. Would you please stand as I pray for us? Holy Spirit, we invite you into this time. We know that you are at work in us and in this room and with everyone who's joining us online as well. You are at work. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would show us where there is some dullness, if there is some dullness there, you'd show us where it is and you would lead us out of it. God, that you would, Holy Spirit, that you would make us into a community, a church that loves one another, that's welcoming, reconciling. And in our relationships, your presence is experienced. You are worthy, Jesus. Hear our prayers as we sing. Amen.